Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. Welcome to episode number 88 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week it's the Stargate Universe episode Lost, episode number 15 of the first season. That aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel, and this was a big episode. This was a cool episode. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see coming how how big and significant this one was going to be. Yeah, I have a lot to say about this episode, but we shall get to that. Whole lot to talk about. First, um, what's going on in your week? And one thing that I want to talk about in Sci-Fi is a show that is uh, rather near and dear to both of our hearts as of late. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be canceled. You know, <laughs> I was waiting to say, when you were going to ask me how was I doing, but the, the only <laughs> thing that I was going to say was that, that you're canceled bummed out. Legend of the Seeker. And I am bummed out. And I presently dislike you right now because, once again, you got me into another show that was canned. And let me tell you oh, something. It's... The show that I got you into is getting better ratings than ever. So... Oh. Yeah. Okay. I got you into Legend of the Seeker, and you got me into Glee. And Glee is uh, obviously doing gangbusters in, in the ratings, and it's the media darling. Come on, Seeker went for two years. It's it's been a Ooh, good two run. Two years. It went for two years. Desolation. It went for two years. All right, all right. Yeah. The funny thing is, is I got you into the show just like a month ago. And you watched the entire thing. It was more than that. Like, but know, yeah, I I watched about two episodes a night for a while there, and then when the weekends came, I watched like eight. So I caught well, up pretty I'm glad, quickly. I'm glad that I, got, I talked you into watching it before it was canceled because I don't know when I'm going to get you to watch shows like Defying Gravity that were dropped after eight broadcast episodes. Yeah, well, I watched Firefly in my own good time, so I suspect Defying Gravity will as well. So yeah, Legend of the Seeker, a good show, good fantasy show. High production values, especially yeah. for syndication. I was, I was kind of surprised when I first saw it uh, when it premiered last year. Really super high production values. I was afraid of Hercules, Xena, you know, predictable yeah. episode. It's not predictable. It's, it's very not, good. It's some really entertaining ideas, really good writers. They've got a bunch of old Star Trek writers on the show. I'm just going to be sad to see it go, but I still have a, a few to watch. The main discussion. Once again, our main discussion topic is Lost. We're not talking about Lost, the TV show. We're talking about Lost, the episode of Stargate Universe which aired Friday on Space in Canada and Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. Um, we knew a lot about various episodes coming up in the back half. We had spoilers for this, spoilers for that. Didn't know very much about Lost. Knew that it was going to be a Greer episode and that we were going to get some flashbacks with, with his dad. I didn't even know that. I yeah. Friday comes along and I look at the photo gallery at the lower right-hand side and I see Afro. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy. <laughs> Young Ronald. Hey, Gate World. This is Nathaniel calling from Georgia. This is kind of an instant reaction. I just watched the airing of Lost, but um, <laughs> it just, wow. <laughs> I came out of that just, I, I never expected them to not tie that up this week either. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess I'm not really saying much, but I hope the pure emotion I'm displaying right now can just, just point to the fact that I am absolutely loving what they're doing with SGU right now, and uh, I cannot wait for next week. Awesome. Like I said, I was uh, pleasantly surprised that this was such a, a 
an awesome episode. I love this. This is one of my favorite episodes of the season so far. And thank God for Marty Garrow. Martin Garrow, you know, I, I in uh, rewatching the show again today, I I didn't know that he wrote this until today. So it, it was good. I liked it a lot. Raised some questions, um, both intentional and unintentional for me. And uh, it's it's a pretty tight episode. They're all very tight at this point. There's a lot going on here. We've got the the tunnel staff trying to escape from the tunnels and then trying to figure out a way to get back to the destiny. Lots about the Stargates and the way that the Stargate networks work that we've been speculating on here on the podcast for a while, but I think have finally been confirmed. Yeah, the, you couldn't do an episode like this without answering those questions. Uh, and it, they raise a couple of, of more questions that I, I want to quibble about in a little bit. All right. Then we have on the Destiny side, we have uh, Rush leading the search uh, with Lieutenant James to try and find our guys. Uh, and TJ has to tell Colonel Young that she's preggers with his baby... Um, and then all the flashback stuff with Ron yeah. uh, being left behind on the planet and uh, the memories that that drags up. There's lots going on in this episode. Where should we begin? Where should we start? I guess the start of the episode is the caves. Yeah. They're, they're complaining that uh, there are no maps in the tunnels and how uh, Eli's shirt, You Are Here, would be wonderful to have. Have a, he'd love to eat, <laughs> he'd love to have a big red his dot t-shirt. right now. His T-shirt says, I, "You are here." I did not make that connection until yeah. you just said that. Yeah. So here. and then the entire time there are maps in the tunnels. They just don't know where they are or how to read them. And Chloe yeah, and manages to decipher them before they lose Ron, so he gets that information as well. Good for her. So then we have uh, more spiders. We have some complaining from Eli, which I thought was interesting. There's a. Eli has a bit of a hopeless moment when, when yeah. Destiny is gone and they're trapped in these caves. Even if we get out of these caves, what are we going to do? The ship is gone. He's, he's got this sort of panicky, hopeless moment. And at one point, it's Chloe who sort of stops him and says, Eli, come on. Yeah. And I like that. I like that they, they assigned that sort of panicked reaction to Eli and not to Chloe, the, the mm-hmm. maker of distress. Or to Ron, the one who is probably freaking out very quietly down there his claustrophobia can you imagine i mean later on being trapped underneath those rocks holy cow when the rocks collapse i was thinking of uh search and rescue the beginning of atlanta season five which has shepherd and ronan and uh rodney and lorne trapped in the rubble and this was a very different feeling this was a guy who was underneath a pile of rocks trying to crawl his way out versus Mm -hmm. that one you know they, they sort of built a uh collapsed underground set and had space for the guys to move around in it. So this was a very different feeling. It was very claustrophobic. The explanation that Eli has uh, regarding uh, how the how the Stargates are interrelated and how they need to get back to Destiny is exactly the same conversation that I had with my buddy Dean two days before uh, the episode oh, yeah. aired. He's like, how are they doing it? How are they going to do it? So I literally sat down with him and I drew a map as to how I think they were going <laughs> to do it. And I drew dots and circles around the dots and then connected the circles with, with the dots. And it, <laughs> there it is, right in the episode, the exact same thing. So nice. if you think that I'm Eli, that, that was pretty dang close. <laughs> That's good. So for those of us who are uh, not super versed in, in the history of Stargate lore... And the way that Stargates work within a galaxy, give us the, the Eli 411. Riley explains this as well. These gates are not nearly as powerful as the modern Stargates. So they can't connect to every gate in a galaxy. They can only connect within yeah. a local group of galaxies. 
local uh, group of, of gates with inside uh, of excuse galaxy, me a local group of gates which is what we're used to on on sg1 in the milky way galaxy and atlantis in the pegasus galaxy is rule of thumb any stargate in the galaxy can dial to any other stargate in that galaxy yeah they have correlative updates they're always talking to one another as the universe expands so do the galaxies so they have to update their coordinates with one another and that's usually what happens. A lot of the interesting information that's revealed in this episode, we've been in the same galaxy all along. We've been going mm-hmm. very slow compared to hyperspace. Very slow. The Cedar ships uh, seeded Stargates in a specific corridor in a straight line. And that was interesting because they, they yeah, are probably more than likely traveling together uh, or relatively in range of one another. If there's the only one conduit. There, are, there aren't branches of conduits apparently. It's just a, a relatively single straight line. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I guess they gave that to us in the pilot when we first arrive on Destiny and see the the course that it's charted through the various galaxies. It's it's kind of a straight line. Um, you know, it's not really looping around and crisscrossing and, and going back. Uh, which would be very inefficient. At. Yeah, which makes sense. But I just I've never really thought about it in these terms before. The Destiny's basically going in more or less a straight line because there's a corridor through the galaxies of Stargates. And Eli says at one point that it meanders a little bit, but uh, it's basically going in a direction. Mm-hmm. And so when, we, when, the, when uh, Scott and Bowie and Eli start gate hopping, they say there's a 50-50 chance that we could be going in the right direction down the corridor, and eventually they find out they went the wrong direction down the corridor. And I'm thinking at the beginning of the episode, oh, of course, they're going to get the... Uh... They're going to go in the right way because in Stargate, you know, you you they always you know pick pick the correct wire before they kill the bomb. Like in uh, what is it? No, it's uh, failsafe. Fail you know, because that's what Stargate does. You know, it it does just in the nick of time stuff that destroys yep. the ple- believability of it. And in I this episode, along the way and exactly just in time. And in this episode, repeatedly, that is not the case. They go in the wrong direction and they miss the boat. And not only yep. do they miss the boat, but Ron missed the boat with them. Starting with Greer, yeah. And you just don't see that on this show. And when it happens, it takes you aback. And you go, wow, how delightful. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed that aspect. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's kind of frustrating. Because um, it's, it you know, keeps you on the edge of your seat in the sense that, uh, okay, Ron made it out of the cave. Can he get there before they dial? He's running across the field. Can he make it before they step through the gate? And he doesn't. And then they run into the, the dinosaur and have to dial away quickly. And then you see uh, Ron is uh, standing at, at the Stargate. So are they coming back to the planet and they just left? Yeah, I was wondering And they're going to find him? And it, it just, yeah, it, none of that ever pays off. But what's happening here, the team who's creating the show, is building equity with the audience in regards to suspense. No, you could watch Atlantis and you could say, eh, they'll be okay. You know, they'll always make it in the end. Eh, they'll always be okay. I could just sit back and enjoy how they, how they do it this time. Um, I, when Ron was trapped under the rocks, I seriously considered that he might not make it. And you, mm. I don't do that with Stargate. I, I never worry about that because they're always going to make it. And yes, you know, the, the three are going to make it back to the ship at some point. You know, because they're regular cast members, but not everything is a given, and how they do it is not a given, and that's it's making it compelling. Be, it's not going to be clean and tidy at the end of every episode, uh, as we saw with this, the end of this episode, which we'll certainly talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Because yeah, if they didn't I make it this myself, time, it's who knows what will happen next week. In this episode in particular, I found myself thinking, okay, of the actors who are online and who have given interviews since the start of Season 2 filming and who are on Twitter, how many do I know for sure are still in Vancouver shooting Season 2? Because I don't know, maybe there's somebody who I've overlooked who might actually mm-hmm. not make it back. And that's a, that's a good feeling. Another thing that we learned about uh, the Stargate networks that uh, I was not clear on, at least, was that there is more than one network, these little mini-networks of gates inside of a galaxy. I thought we might be, you know, skipping around to a new galaxy potentially every two or three or four episodes. But uh, this episode definitively proves that there's a small network in the sense that a Stargate's range is limited. It can only yeah. reach... That you know, is maybe that five network. other gates. Right. But there are other gates in that galaxy. There's like little uh, clusters, I guess you might say. There's, there's multiple small networks that have some overlap. Mm-hmm. You can only access a block of gates at the time. And that was the big surprise for me in this episode is how slow we're going. Because I've been under the impression that, yeah, we, perhaps we even visit a new galaxy every single episode. Uh, we're well, yeah, going, going very, very fast. And we know that FTL is is supposedly a lot faster than, than regular hyperspace no, travel. It's a lot slower. The Daedalus could run rings around the Destiny at this point. She goes from one galaxy to another in two weeks. And unless this, unless this galaxy mm. is just unusually large, which could be. It could be an unusually large galaxy. Um, perhaps the entire size of the local group combined. We, we don't know. You know they, haven't, they haven't clarified that. But it seems to me that we're going far, far, far slower than you know, yeah. we're supposed to be going. I wonder if FTL really is just markedly slower than hyperspace travel because it's you know, Destiny and its Stargates are, are sort of ancient technology 1.0. The hyperspace travel was a later development. Well, once they get to no man's land, God help them. Yeah, I mean, the ship has basically left this galaxy now uh, by the end of this episode and is into the void uh, between mm-hmm. this galaxy and the next one. So mm-hmm. it, it will be interesting to see if it takes us a few hours or days or weeks or months. I have a couple of theories about that that I'd like to talk about later. All right. Um, we also saw the ancient remote, which I thought was cool. Uh, we saw that, that when you step through a gate onto a planet, uh, within 30 seconds to a minute... Uh, it it auto detects all the gates that are in range mm-hmm. and shows you their address, mm-hmm. uh, uh, including the destiny in real time. And Eli had to recognize the the address, the little mm-hmm. collection of uh, squiggles and circles. When they went the wrong way, that was really cool. I I just wasn't expecting that, and I did not expect them to go back to the 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 planet where the crashed ship was found. And once they once they approach that ship, I'm thinking, oh boy, they're going to get inside, and they're going to find something incriminating on him. They're going to access those computers on rush. I was mm. dead set on thinking that that was going to happen, and they're going to access those computers and find a conversation between him and the aliens, or pull some piece of data up. But no, they don't. They just find his glasses. Hi, it's Rob from Ohio. Uh, I've become a Stargate fan over the past year, and I'm really liking SGU. Uh, just finished watching Lost. Uh, after watching all the SG-1 and Atlantis episodes, I definitely thought the storyline of Scott, Chloe, and Eli being lost would wrap up by the end of the episode and was totally shocked when they were left stranded at the end. 
love the Greer flash, flashbacks. He's uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite characters. And uh, the other thing I liked was uh, I'm really hoping that Chloe being able to make sense of the alien map on the ship was not a fluke and uh, that it's something maybe she got when she was taken captive because that would give her character a lot more meaning, and I think uh, she needs that. We do learn some interesting things about Chloe which she's got this intuition, not just with the map underground, yeah. but the you are here. That, she just sort of figured that out, I think, because she's a smart cookie. There's some but, alien uh, stuff, though. There's some evidence here that the aliens, uh, I don't know, tampered with her a little bit, left a little bit of uh, residual know-how in her. She sort of intuits this, this uh, language the operating on, system. on this yeah. uh, computer console. Um, so, she, I mean, it's not like she can read it. It's not like she can tell you what it says. Mm-mm. She just has this gut feeling that this is this is the right Mm-mm. area of of the GUI user interface. To and click this on. also in this scene, there's something relatively important. I think shows that the aliens are not only aware of destiny, but they are aware of the gates as well. And hmm. if they can get a hold of a remote, they can probably get aboard through the gates. Well, yeah, this is a good question. Uh, as far as our space alien buddies, do they use stargates? They've been tracking Destiny. Um, presumably they see the fact that Destiny is traveling along this corridor mm-hmm. of planets that have these big round things on them. Is it possible that they have gotten their hands on a remote or have otherwise sort of hacked into the gate system and, and are able to use it? Because there are no DHDs on these planets. Mm-mm. Is it possible that we're leaving their home galaxy? They may be from a galaxy far, far away, though. Who knows? Mm. So they may be starting to get desperate. But we clearly have not uh, seen the last of them. Yeah, and are we getting closer to their home turf or farther away? That's an interesting point. Well, they definitely seem to be keeping tabs on the Destiny. So now that we've gotten rid of the tracking device that they left on the ship, the ones uh, that we and know in of. Rush, the ones that we know of, I'm kind of curious if they're going to be able to find the ship again. Um, by uh, We saw the map. We saw that they have tracked these stargates and so Eli there's apparently enough information in here that Eli is able to use that to figure out where destiny is and that it's about to leave the galaxy um, the aliens have that knowledge too obviously it's on their computer system so mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to be able to sort of estimate when and where the destiny is going to be when it exits the galaxy and crosses the void. Well, like Al- Eli says, there there's only a, one specific corridor of Stargates, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's a large area of ground to cover, but it narrows it yeah. down tremendously. Yeah, especially when they're capable of FTL travel, mm-hmm. and they don't have to just wait for the ship to drop out of FTL mm-hmm. and, and hope that they're in the right place. Yeah. The ship is powering down. We haven't discussed this yet. Uh, do you think it's preparing for its voyage into the void? Um, yeah, that seems to be what they indicated, was that the the power loss was to prepare for the trip through the void. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it knows that there are people living on the ship now. Yeah, what are what are the I'm people sure supposed to do, do while they're in the void? I'm thinking that the ship is going to like accelerate extremely quickly to the next ga- to the edge of the next galaxy and then continue on. Because yeah, what are you supposed to if you have a crew? What are you supposed to do while you're in the void? Yeah. Study the data yeah. that you've obtained. Especially if it really is that slow. That much slower than than uh, like the Daedalus hyperspace travel, you know, mm-hmm. it could cross the void between 
Milky Way and Pegasus in a couple of weeks. So yeah, if they've been at this really for months. is that much slower, it could take months. Um, as far as that crashed alien ship goes, I'm kind of surprised that the aliens left it there. Yeah, I, mean, I was surprised have to too. Invest a lot in a big salvage operation. Let's blow it up. Because they yeah. found a human in there tampering with things and looking at their computer systems. I was kind of surprised they just left it there. I was thinking that the hard drive was going to be wiped. And yeah, it, it's it's curious how they just kind of left it there. And, you know, Scott has that that line, 15 minutes, I, I like the number, you know, let's let's get out of here before then. So that, uh, you know, if the aliens are on their way, hopefully we'll be long gone by the time they do actually come back. Well, lots of gate hopping and lots of cool planets. What did you think of the big monster? <laughs> you know, the mist. I thought of the Stephen King's The Mist again, two weeks in a row. It looks yeah. like one of the big creatures from The Mist. Great looking thing. I don't know how any tree in that forest would survive with a creature that large, <laughs> uh, but it was very well done. Um, very delighted. I, I was very pleased with the sets in this episode. The the fact that they have been reusing sets in multiple episodes kind of allows them to to uh, spend more money on the sets. I would think the the cave. If you're going to use the cave in two episodes instead of one, then you can put a budget of worth of two episodes for a single set into that uh, into that set. In yeah. addition, I mean the the locations. There were a lot of locations in this one. They went back to that planet that they had in in the tenth episode or the ninth episode. Um, they reused the alien ship. Uh, yeah. If you if you notice that they re, they they um, the alien the alien ship they used that set for the shuttle. Uh, just changed the lighting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very effective. This show covers literally and figuratively a lot of ground. Yeah, literally. I assume that a lot of these planets, production-wise, are probably being shot indoors. Yeah. When it's just the guys coming through the gate and looking around. Yeah. And going back through, but that's on a soundstage. They look fantastic. They did such a great job distinguishing between them. We've got you know the mist planet. Uh, we've got a planet that's uh, you know sort of desolate and really windy. You got a um, crystalline-looking world with a beautiful sky. Yeah, James sky. And, and Rush show up on that, that planet with the big crystals next to it. I mean, that was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, there's a snow yeah. planet towards the end. The crystalline planet reminded me a lot of Unnatural Selection. Uh, very hmm. neat set. The snowy world was fantastic. Oh, that was gorgeous, gorgeous. The snow that would... And so I love the, just the, the little... Uh, Little touches like Scott falling on it, slipping and falling on slipping his butt, <laughs> and he like, I whoa. Love that little, little touch. That's not a, that's not something Jack O'Neill is ever doing. Uh-uh. That's what happens when you have a flat ramp like a slide. You're gonna slide down that thing if there's ice on it. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. I, again, um, I uh, the dinosaur made me think of. Uh, I know I'm not the only one who said this online, but uh, made me think of the Rancor from Return of the Jedi. Ah, uh, yeah, it ha- does have a similar face. Yeah, the face is very similar. It's it walks on all fours, but yeah. the face is very similar. It has huge all fours, by the way. But again, uh, other than the planet with the ruins that we started on, there uh, none of these planets show any immediate evidence in the in the gate vicinity of having been populated or mm-hmm. currently being populated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm still thinking about this. I'm not sure what to make of the planets that the cedar ships are choosing to drop stargates on and is it possible for other civilizations if they were inhabited is it possible for another civilization to be able to use the stargate network within their little local local part of the galaxy because they don't have the remotes 
they we haven't seen any evidence of uh, how you can remote dial a Stargate with it. I don't I, again. I don't yeah. understand why the, these gates have chevrons. They they don't need them. Uh, on on Destiny, the ball operates as basically the chevron, and and the chevrons don't exactly lock. They're just they're just there for show. Um, but it's it's I'm curious to see if these gates are capable of remote dialing or manual dialing. Excuse me. I suspect they're not. Although they do turn. It's not like a Pegasus gate, which is all digital, which you can't turn. Right. I would suspect that manual dialing may be possible on these. Hello, Stargate fans. This is my first call into the Gate World podcast. My name is John, and I'm from Southern California. I'm calling in regards to the latest episode, Lost. And what an episode it was. TJ revealing her pregnancy. I thought Colonel Young handled the revelation admirably. A blind race against the clock to get back to Destiny. I wouldn't be surprised if Eli, Chloe, and Matt decide to try their luck with the alien ship. And as I've been hoping, we received significant background for Greer, who is becoming one of the more interesting characters on the show. As for how this episode will affect the rest of the series, we finally have an explanation for why only a few gates are available at a time. This has led me to wonder, what if no amount of power would allow the Destiny Gate to connect with the Milky Way? I believe that future episodes will include attempts at other forms of travel, perhaps the wormhole drive seen in the series finale of Atlantis. Greer! Yep, big episode for Greer. Um, some insight into his past. It was It was not really what I was expecting in terms of I guess Lost, uh, the, the TV show Lost, has conditioned us for flashbacks and sort of what to expect. Uh, yeah, it's so not I a full story. This to be, yeah, to be a bigger part of the episode, to be like a, a, a bigger B storyline. And it's just kind of flashes. It's, it's uh, you know, the sound of moving the rocks reminds Ron of this uh, incident with his dad when he's stacking the bricks and his dad kicks over the wall. Uh, and the... the feeling of being left behind with no way to get home reminds him of when his dad, you know, took him with no money and dropped him in, in the middle of downtown. Yeah, you know, they don't hell. explain why, what he did to prompt him to do that. They don't explain the whole brick building thing. I think it's, I was wondering about the, the bricks, you know, I've seen people and heard of people and, and seen in other movies, you know, people who are given menial tasks to repeat again and again, dig a hole three feet by three feet by three feet, and then dig another hole, so on and so forth, uh, and then later fill the holes. You know, and what, mm-hmm. have, what have we learned from this? Well, there's not really a point to it. It's just, you know, to drive you nuts. And I was mm-hmm. wondering about that with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the bricks. But I still don't understand why he just left him. Why he, why he walked into his son's room, yanked him out into the car, and dropped him off in a bad part of town with no money. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely Greer is... Uh, and then he gets home and it's on fire. Sense of abandonment. And yeah, I got the impression, because when he comes home, the house is burning. I got the impression that that was two halves of the same night. Yeah. And so I wonder maybe if it was done benevolently. Like if Dad was deciding to burn the house down and commit suicide and burn them. with his wife. And decided to make sure that Ron was not in there because he wanted to save him. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Dad Dad seems to be a war vet. Uh, this seems to be a VA hospital that he's in. And he's not just a mean guy. Uh, Ron's dad is not was not just, you know, a mean alcoholic abusive father. He was messed up. He was he was mentally unstable. He was mm-hmm. not all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, his mom says these things to him like it wasn't his fault, which I think is really the remarkable thing about Ron and about the flashback stuff that we get is 
his mom says, tells him that, uh, you know, he's, his father wasn't always like this. You, he wasn't always like this, and you, Ron, didn't let it change you. Mm-hmm. So he's had this experience with mm-hmm. this father who's this way. Uh, and certainly it, it helped to shape him into the man he was, but not in a negative sense. He took mm-hmm. it in a positive direction. And mm-hmm. actually, instead of rebelling against his father and hating his father, Walks in his he, footsteps. Ended up, he ended up following in his father's footsteps anyway. Because like his mom said, it wasn't his dad's fault that he was this way. I was doing the uh, actors' credits for this episode, for, the, for our episode guide on GateWorld, and I noticed that the actor, uh, William McDonald, who played the, the messed-up crazy guy in the, in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, is the same guy who played Captain Griffin, the pilot of McKay's Puddle Jumper in... Ah, okay. There's a little... I sold his costume. All right. So let's get to the baby drama. Um, more baby drama. Yep. You know, I when we did our women in Stargate discussion, and the girls were all talking about how, you know, it seems like the girls get all the emotional stuff, and the guys get to be all stoic and, and you know be the decision makers, while the girls, you know, talk about mm-hmm. the things that make them girls. The, the girls were basically given all the emotional stuff, and the guys, while the guys can be, you know, heroic. And mm. I said, I said to myself at the time, "Oh, that's bull. That's that's ridiculous. I don't believe that whatsoever." And I'm seeing these scenes with TJ talking with James about, you know, jumping into bed and how she feels and this and that. And then she's talking about, you know, should I tell him? Should I not? When when should I tell him? Uh, and then she's talking with, you know, these two are scientists. Friends. You know, the Destiny Bicycle, the scientist who sleeps with everybody. You know, they're all they're all talking Destiny about bicycle. and. and and I'm thinking to myself, maybe there's something to that. Maybe the girls were right that there's because it seems like that every time that the, the the female characters open their mouths, it's almost like they're constantly having insecurity issues. And uh, Jennifer Keller clearly, yeah. but I don't know, man. What do you think? I didn't think about it. Maybe this this shows how how insensitive I am to these issues. But I didn't think about it until you until you started talking about it. Um, I like the character of Vanessa James, and I like the fact that what they did with her in that conversation was illustrate the fact that she doesn't sleep around. I mean, basically, what she says to TJ is, I'm not the sort of girl who jumps into bed on the drop of a dime. So, you know, we open up Air Part 1 with Mm -hmm. her and Matt uh, doing it in the closet. A couple of, of military personnel apparently just recreating. You know, sort of in a Battlestar Galactica sense of, of you know, it's just fun. Uh, there, there are no strings attached necessarily. Yeah. What we learn in this episode is that, okay, Vanessa actually really cares about him. And we've seen hints of that, certainly with her, you know, crying on her bed alone in past episodes. Yeah. Um, she's, she was not just recreating with him. She really liked him, which I think makes, makes things like the way that he disses her when they get to the destiny and hooks up with... With Chloe, and by hooks up, I I, I mean actually starts as a steady, stable relationship with her. Uh, apparently, without breaking up, Lieutenant James. Um, I don't know. I'm feeling for Lieutenant James here. It, I think it makes Scott look more like a bit of a, a scoundrel, a bit of a player, uh, yeah. because she really cares about him, cared about him, and didn't apparently didn't get a, a good legitimate breakup. 
as far as your question goes, I, okay, pregnancy-wise, obviously this is a story point, and it's a story point that is necessitated by, by a real-life event, which is fine. They wrote it into the show, which is great. I think it's really interesting because we already had the dynamic between Colonel Young and TJ, yeah. that they had had, a, had an affair and that that was over. Uh, for that to result in a pregnancy and for Young to find out literally months after he ended uh, their affair and told his wife. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting, and it adds an interesting dynamic between them. But, uh, yeah, the fact that what we're getting from James is, uh, it does seem sort of, gosh, I don't even know the words to use. And I think this is a part of the problem. Because you and I, the writers on this show, we're all dudes. And, you know, I... I I'm looking for Jerry Taylor. You know, I, I'm I'm looking for yeah. Jerry Taylor to appear again. And you know, this this gal who is now on the writing team, uh not to say that, that the dudes are not getting it, but I'm I'm looking for someone to add a, a female dynamic that is not just okay, I'm female. I'm looking forward to that from the second season. Because yeah. it's just I can't I can't put my finger on it. Let but me say this. I Everything that's, that's in this episode that, that like TJ and James are doing, the conversations that they're having about their, their feelings and their insecurities uh, and, and their relationship issues, I like all of the content of it. Yeah. If, somebody wants, if somebody wants to come and make the point that they're, they're being written overly girly, overly uh, stereotyped, um, I can see where that argument can be made. But you're not seeing a guy crying in his quarters you never see that and you're not going to see that but let me tell you something that kind of thing does happen yeah don't get me wrong you know we've we've seen scott cry because brian j smith is an outstanding actor and he can deliver i don't know how he does it he must keep like onions under his under his (laughs) chair or something but man he can he can pour it out but you know i mean yeah it's hard to say i just wanted to raise that point let's and let's let's see how it goes through the rest of the season yeah, see if point. I'm right on the miscarriage or not. We'll see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. I like Young's reaction to to the news where he basically yeah the stunned way that he says a baby on you know, this ship on this ship exactly. I was so he's afraid. Not, yeah, he's not intimating to her that she shouldn't have it, uh, which is how she seems to take it initially. Uh, but he's basically saying, you know, look at this. We live in this crap hole. It's falling apart. Uh, we breathing recycled air. Food, yeah, a, a baby in this environment. Yeah, the, the beginning of this episode, as soon as she tries to tell him and she gets cut off, and then she gets cut off again later, I'm thinking, oh, no, please don't do this to me. Please don't make this be the entire episode where she's trying to talk to him and she can't. And they don't. You know, she she pulls it right out at the beginning of, of one of the next scenes. I'm pregnant. I'm thinking, yes, thank you for not stringing it along. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's Brian from Toronto. The threat of the destiny leaving the galaxy for good was a great way of keeping up the tension in the episode. The ending totally blew my mind, but also made perfect sense, which is kind of awesome. But I do have one quibble. They teach you this as a little Cub Scout, so military personnel should totally know this. If you get lost, you stay put. You and the search party are both wandering around. You'll be like two ships passing in the night. But if you stay put, the people looking for you have a much better chance of finding it. Look what happened with Ford. Even though it wasn't his choice, he stayed put, and the search parties found him. The ones who went wandering off into the galaxy 
well, we all know what happened to them. And again, that ending totally blew my mind. Great episode. Let me bring up something about Scott while we're, while we're talking about Scott. I can't remember if we brought up in the last episode the fact that he doesn't order Ron to stay outside and stand guard. Mm. Uh, instead, Ron says, I'm going to stay out here and stand guard. And everybody goes inside. And then because of Eli's little comment about Ron being scared, mm-hmm. uh, Ron decides to go in after them because he was not ordered to stay outside. He doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing happens in this episode. Um, he, you know, they find the map on the wall and he turns around and goes and finds another one. Not because he was ordered to, uh, but just because he's a, a, a proactive guy. So and Scott doesn't stop up. him. Yeah, the issues come up about Scott as a leader. Now, I'm not criticizing the character and the way that he's written. I'm criticizing the character as, as sort of a, a nice, three-dimensional, uh, inexperienced young officer. He's an inexperienced commander as far as missions goes. He's a lieutenant. And I think that he's making some questionable command decisions in this episode. Um, you see, he's, he's sort of going back and forth arguing with Eli as to whether they should stay put on the planet mm-hmm. or you know, go, go gate-hopping and see if they can catch up to the destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not sure what to do, and he lets Eli talk him into this, this uh, little quest that ultimately ends up, you know, Greer gets back because he was findable, and they don't. And, you know, going down a corridor to, to check an alternate route, I mean, that's, that's fairly benign. It's like, okay, you go ahead and check it out. He couldn't have known that the, yeah, yeah. the rocks were then going to collapse, but he could have also said, I think we need to stay together. Because, you know, if, if one of us dies, all of us should die. <laughs> and then there was, a, a, you know, that, that other issue of when I was watching it the second time and he's debating uh, whether or not to leave him there. I'm saying, I said aloud, we don't leave our people behind. We don't leave our yeah. people behind. But That's when you think one. that he's dead, what are you going to do? And then, and then Chloe says it right at the right time. Are you, are you wanting us to leave because you have an obligation to get the two of us out of here? And I then realized at that point, yes, that's probably what it is. You know, he has those those kids are his responsibility. He has to get them out. And, you know, if he's got to sacrifice Greer alive or dead, he doesn't know to do it. He's going to do it. Did the radio break? Did it did it break in the rock fall? I think he he starts hammering it into the rock. I think it's busted. Yeah, I think it's busted. Uh, which seems to be why when he's running towards the gate uh, before they've left the planet, he can't use it to okay. radio ahead. I think it's I think it was busted in the rockfall. Yeah, he's lucky it didn't bust his head. Yeah, this this thing about it, this was uh, the SGC's you know modus operandi. We don't leave our people behind, and that's been made the, a, a central plot point well, a in staple. a number of episodes. Yeah, um, yeah, Scott leaves him behind, and I think it's it's very good that Chloe pointed out that he's basically doing this because. Hey, there's a ticking clock. We've got to try to get back to the destiny. I've got two civilians here to take care of. As far as I can tell, there's a good chance that Greer's dead right now. So I see why he did it. But yeah. So we get to the end of the episode, and uh, they don't get back? What? Wasn't that totally awesome? That was, again, the other surprise. You're, You're thinking, yeah, they'll make it. They'll make it. Uh, If they don't make it, they're screwed. You know, and at this point, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know how they're going to get back. There's got to be something that, that that's going to happen. You know, we get some help from someone else or the destiny stops for a little bit or something uh, because it has to work out somehow. But that's, I mean, I'm grinning right now because I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, 
the ship has left the galaxy. I mean, this entire episode was based on we can still catch up, even though the ship is a runaway train, and this is you know how how SGU has been set up. You don't get left behind because there's no way we can turn the ship around and go get you. Um, so Lost is all about we got to catch up before they leave the galaxy. We got to catch up before the and as Eli says, game over. Can't catch him now. We're done. It was awesome. For, for a little while, it. I was like, why didn't they do that with Curtis and Palmer? It's like, no, Curtis and Palmer didn't have a remote. They were stuck. And they're probably on their first child by now. Uh, here's hoping that that was their <laughs> life. They're not uh, dinosaur fodder. Yeah, and another little misdirection at the end where they find Destiny on the remote. Eli mm-hmm. dials it up. Gate activates. And Busy signal. Rush. That, and that's what that's what happens, you know. You get a if if the gate's occupied, you get a busy signal. That's what they were trying to do in Window of Opportunity. They were trying to trying to get a busy signal. Good episode, man. Good Very stuff. Good. Marty G's still got it. He does. He may be bored to death, but he still got it. <laughs> that's the name of his show. So, what do you think these guys are going to do now? What would you do if you were basically uh, our last chance of getting back to Destiny is gone? I would turn to the others and say, well, which of those planets did you like best? <laughs> <laughs> I really would. I mean, you're not, uh, you're sunk. You know, you, you've got, a, you've got a, a number of planets that you've tried and uh, go back to one of them and, you know, make the best life that you can. Because if, yeah. de- if Destiny's out of the galaxy, then that's it. Game over. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next, and I love it. I love you it. Can, you can pick a planet and settle down. Um, you could go back to the alien ship and basically let yourself get captured. I guess Rush managed to get back to Destiny that way. Not intentionally. Uh, kind of a fluke. Um, they could go back and keep looking for Greer, see if they could dig his body out of the rubble, just confirm that he really was killed. Uh, or, you know, we got that nice little little remote we could just keep dialing and just explore the galaxy we you could can't have explore the galaxy you don't have a kino they, they lost the oh, kino yeah. every time every time yeah. they dial it's a risk lost the kino every time you step through the gate you might be dead yeah so now lieutenant scott is the kino yeah he's, he's yeah the he basically it's... that was cool and it was it was not something that i thought of before that's but what you have to do doesn't have any way to get back yeah Mm-mm. So, you know, people wonder why we don't do this more. Uh, when the Destiny drops out of FTL and dials one particular planet, why don't we then go dial a bunch of other planets and just kind of explore that local group in the few hours that we have? Um, yeah, we would, at very least, we would lose a lot of keynotes that way. And then the last shot of the episode I want to talk about. This Survivor is Ron guilt. going into his room and sitting, sitting at the foot of his bed. What do you make of this? Uh... You think it's survivor's guilt? Uh, pretty guilty. Pretty guilty. This man has been a very we-don't-leave-our-people-behind kind of man. Look at how he rescues Scott in the pilot. Uh, yeah, in airport too. I suspect there's some survivor's guilt happening here. I think there's some survivor's guilt, and I also, based on his exchange with Colonel Young when he first got back to the ship, I suspect that he's mad. I suspect that he feels like he got left behind. I will be interested to see uh, when... Scott gets back to the ship, presuming that he does, what that relationship looks like, if it's changed at all, if Ron is going to end up PO'd mm-hmm. at Matt for leaving behind. Great episode. One of my favorites of the season. 
easily. It's time for quibbles. I'm not sure how much this is a quibble or just a question. That's that's something that the writers are deliberately setting up for us because it's going to play a part in a future story. Uh, when the power starts to go out on the destiny, uh, first of all, it's it's not just the ship's power, but it's the kino. It's everything that Riley just pulled out of the dispenser. Of the dispenser. And it's Earth technology. Uh, Young's radio and flashlights. Nothing's working on the ship. It's some uh, kind of a dampening field. You think that's what it is? Well, what else can take every t- known type of power and neutralize it? Well, why would you? Why would you, if there's a flashlight running on batteries, I mean, I understand if you can't go back and use the plate to recharge it, but why would you have a dampening field that prevents somebody from using their flashlight? Why is it affecting Earth technology? Um, and I wonder if maybe there's a, a deliberate reason heading into the void. So you're buried under a pile of rocks. I am. <laughs> Metaphorically. You unbury yourself. You manage to dig yourselves out of potentially tons and tons of, of rocks on top of you without, and, and then sprint across the field you know, without having any substantial injuries. He's a tough cookie. Holy smokes. And we don't know, I mean, if, if the rocks fell on top of him directly. It sure looks like they did. He digs himself out. I'm not saying that yeah. that's not possible. It's just really far-fetched. Mm. It looked like he was using the front end of his gun to sort of push rocks out of the way. I'm still thinking about the destiny and the planets that it is going to. We've had this this theory... Early on in the show, where we had all these things that we need, we need air, we need water, we need food, that Destiny seems to be this almost pseudo-conscious technology that is taking us deliberately to planets that have things we need. And that's what Eli said in, uh, in Human last week. Destiny's been taking us to planets where we seem to need something, and maybe what we need is down in these caves, and we just don't know it yet. So that's why he talks him into going into the tunnels. So my question is, why is the Destiny auto-dialing the planets that it does? And uh, there's apparently lots of other planets locally that it's just skipping over. Why is it picking and, the uh, one? Yeah, you know, as far as, as uh, the, the writing of the episode goes, I guess this is technically not a quibble. It's just a, it's, it's an unanswered question so far, mm-hmm. uh, which is brought up in this episode. Is Why is, is Destiny skipping all these planets? Well, we don't know. Um, but they don't all seem to have something that we need. You know, the desert planet with the crashed ship, uh, the planet with the ruins, these didn't seem to, to really do anything other than forward that particular plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of deus ex machina there. Yeah, I mean, related to this is the question of why did the this, this cedar ships that are going ahead of Destiny place stargates that Destiny never makes use of? And maybe if the ancients were on board Destiny by this point and had full control over it, they would be stopping and exploring a little bit more. Um, but as far as we can tell, the Cedar ships used a lot of time and resources to put down a lot of Stargates. And they aren't being used. Not being utilized. Destiny doesn't use them. Uh, as far as we can tell, there are no civilizations on these planets that are using them. That's a uh, very... Oh, that's a... Yeah, that's a very strong point. It's one thing if, if the ship stops in range of a series of gates and then shows those gates on the screen so that the ancients can then go and, and start accessing them. But that the gate yeah. dials one is yeah, strange. Yeah, the fact that it dials, 
Exactly. I would understand if we got a little menu that said, please make your selection. You have yeah. six hours. Yeah. But the fact that it auto-dials one, pretty much every time, I think. That's one of the other things that irritate me. I mean, why do you have six hours? How does Destiny know how much time I'm going to need? What if I want to spend more time exploring these planets? Do we run on Destiny's schedule? I'm an ancient. I, I need to spend more time here. Um, there's got to be, like, when, when the ancients got aboard their ship, that ship, there has got to have been some kind of control override that they would have immediately used to start steering the ship around and holding it in one position. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's a couple of things about it that just doesn't make sense. The fact that it's different over, every time it's different. It's three hours, it's six hours, it's 12 hours. It uh, makes it, it interesting story. But yeah. practically, it doesn't make sense. But in-universe, it's almost like that control system is broken. Yeah. Because why would it be a different period of time every single time? Uh, this has been a previous quibble, and I, and I will reiterate it here. Um, it's one of the things that I, that I just have a hard time buying. How is it that these gates are not buried? Uh, and, I, and I brought it up before, that mm-hmm. there's got to be like a mechanism under the under the the pedestal that occasionally unburies the gate, you know, and turns it back onto the surface, especially now that we've been to a planet that has very clear cave-in problems, uh, these gates would not be on the surface of the planets. They just would, they wouldn't be. They would be under, um... Yeah, if they're theoretically millions of years old. Exactly. Nothing is going to be on the surface. And you can't tell me that, you know, oh, we're going to put out, you know, a thousand gates, and, and a, a million years from now, perhaps... One percent of them will still be on the surface, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. Uh, no, it's <laughs> yeah. not. You wouldn't. You wouldn't design it like that. You would design them so that they would they would remain in a in a position where they would always be accessible. You would not design them any other way. Yeah, and the fact that all the gates are in a clearing mm-hmm. that they haven't had trees and, and underbrush grow up around them. All I'm saying is, it's a little convenient. Yeah, I think there's some interesting story opportunities there. I think yeah. you could you could potentially do a story where it becomes an issue that the Stargate has been there for two million years or whatever yeah. it is, and there it, there's an issue with with dialing and going through, sort of like you know like when the gate was buried in a hundred days. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely a quibble, and I can I can accept that you know most of the citizens in in the Milky Way galaxy have learned to speak English. But the folks in the Pegasus Galaxy can't. I mean, if anything, they would be speaking ancient. So yeah. definitely a quibble for from a from a person who has too much time on his hands. <laughs> At some point, you well, just have to say that the story has to do this in order for it to work. But as we have gotten a more realistic, dare I say, series in SGU, you know, those qu- those excuses don't stand very well. Well, head over to GateWorld.net right now. <laughs> you'll find our full coverage of Lost. You can find the episode transcript, photos, lots of high-quality screen grabs, and of course you can talk about Lost at GateWorld Forum. Listener mail. Thanks everybody for your voicemails this week. We got a lot of great ones. Uh, there's a few more on other topics. Let's listen in. Hey, uh, this is the Sue. And I just listened to episode 81, which was my first time ever listening to Gate World Podcast. And I just wanted to tell you guys, it's uh, kind of weird that you guys were saying some of the things that I was thinking as I'm, as I'm listening to the podcast. Um, I was thinking something about, that's why Shepard is like Jack. And then one of you said, 
and that's why Shepard is, is like Jack. And then they were talking about Megan Light, who plays uh, the leader of the ancients that comes to take over the city. And one of you, I don't know your voices yet, and one of you said, you know, and, and Megan Light is Mulder's sister. And then one of you said, is Mulder's sister? And I'm thinking, oh, my God. I'm one of them. They're one of me. Oh, dear. You guys are really cool, and I plan on listening to more of your podcasts. I didn't really think about, you know, the Gate World podcast until I heard you guys talked about on the Fifth Race podcast, so I'll give them a plug. Hello, this is Carl from Hawaii, and I got a question for you guys. If you guys can have any of the bad guys from SG-1 or Atlantis come to SGU, which bad guy would that be? Thanks, Carl, for your question. I've got an answer to this one. I want to hear what you have to say. I've always loved the Ashen. Oh, um, yeah. I thought that they were extremely interesting. I would love to see them again. It doesn't make sense to see them this far out there. They, they were an advanced species that did not have mastery of Stargate travel. So is it possible that they might have uh, gotten outside of the Milky Way galaxy with yeah. these ships? Yeah, they might be pretty far out there. Um, I would love to see the mechanical replicators for just one episode or a two-part episode. Mm. No more than that. I would love to see the replicators again. Um, yeah, I think you you would get some complaints. Ah, uh, so at what? At this point, for the, the recycling. Well, you know, I mean, the, we we've established that they are that the replicators existed very, very, very far outside of our galaxy in the season five opening episode. That's true. We saw some ships under yeah. replicator control that we never saw again. Mm-mm. That would be interesting if we ran into the species that uh, that made the ship that the replicators were flying around in enemies. Supposedly, in unnatural in unnatural selection, um, they activated the code and and Reese's base command to come forth, and that gathered all of them from across the universe. I doubt it. I would like to see the foothold aliens. I thought about that. I don't. I mean, they were they were sort of uh, prosthetic enough, and and I don't I don't think they were cheesy. I think they were cool. Um, but tonally, I don't know that they fit with SGU. <laughs> uh, but I I've, I've always wondered where those guys came from. Hey, one thing quibble wise that I forgot to bring up was that uh, we talked on and on and on endlessly first half of the season about the age of the destiny. Uh, I think we're getting some evidence in this episode that's finally catching up to reality, showing that the Destiny is much, much, much older than Atlantis, um, because there's references to this Stargate system being like a 1.0 Stargate system that has a limited range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think uh, that's some good concrete evidence to start talking about the Destiny as really as old as it is, which is millions of years and not hundreds of thousands of years old. Yeah. I'd love them to have an on-screen reference from, from Rush saying something like, when we first got here, I speculated, but now it's clear to me that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I won't hold my breath. It's one of those red herrings. I, I hope that we'll get a date at some point in, in Ancient as to when Destiny was launched, and he'll be able mm-hmm. to extrapolate and say, well, that was some 48 million years ago, you know, yeah. or something like that. Well, this Friday we're watching Sabotage, and then we'll talk about it next week on the podcast. So this week's listener question, what did you think of Sabotage? That is episode 16, coming up on the end of the season here in the next month or so. 
a month and a half. We'll go a couple weeks into June. Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on Sci-Fi Channel or 10 p.m. Eastern on Space if you live in Canada. Uh, watch the episode. I think this is going to be a cool one. There's uh, there's some interesting things. This is this is a one that we learned about uh, in spoilers several months ago that I've been looking forward to talking about uh, some of the character issues in addition to the plot issues and the fact that we now have three crew members who are gone and still need to find their way back to the ship. So uh, watch the episode on Friday night, and then you've got the whole weekend to call into the podcast hotline and uh, tell us what you thought about it and join our little conversation. What is that number? Area code 951-262-1647. And you can call anytime, day or night. It does not ring anywhere and wake anybody up. Uh, No matter where you are in the world, that's Sabotage, our May 12th show next Wednesday. And then on May 19th, we'll talk about the episode Pain. And May 26th, it's Subversion. Subversion. Someone is subverting something. Certain things will be subverted. And that's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the podcast. If you want to give us feedback, call the hotline. Or you can also email us a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. You can head over to the podcast feedback thread if you want to talk about the podcast. Uh, Otherwise, there's a section on the episode, uh, also the forum, if you just want to talk about the episode. And if you want uh, to know more about anything from Stargate history, like an episode that we we cited, or a a species like the Ashen, head over to the show notes on the website for this episode of the podcast, uh, and you can find the links to everything. It's just all there. I spend time on that every single week, so somebody's got to use it. Somebody's got to click through and say, oh, the Ashen. (laughs) Or... The Ashen? Who is that? Oh, hey. the Ashen. Oh, yeah, the Ashen. Remember those guys? From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for more of the GateWorld podcast. <laughs>